0: my name is Mike Grain. I have an opportunity to really have a special treat for you today. We recently had a chance at the Auburn RFID board meeting uh, to have a, a panel of experts uh, that, that covers retail, uh, suppliers, and industry experts. There's over 130 years of expertise on this particular board, and I got a chance to actually moderate it, which is a, a great thrill for me but you get to hear from research experts, practitioners, who are both retailers and suppliers and industry experts. Talk about RFID today and the future of RFID at retail. Let's go ahead and join the podcast in progress. Thanks for taking the time. For those of you who don't know, my name is Mike Crane. Um, I've had the pleasure of meet, of working with this group for the past 20 years in the RFID space. Um, what you have is a collection of industry experts. Uh, I added it up the other day and they have over 130 years in retail RFID. Isn't that amazing? That's pretty amazing. Um, I'm including myself in part of that as well. So um, one of the things that that I've, uh, I constantly challenge uh, Justin is um, how are we going to be better? And, and I and I, so, I told this story to Synthel and to, to Justin yesterday, so I'll repeat it. I believe we have somebody on the phone from Chick-fil-A. And it's interesting that I chose this particular example because uh, Dan Cathy is the CEO of Chick-fil-A. Uh, he is an extremely successful businessman. Uh, he probably doesn't have to work, but he enjoys it. And one of the things that he was sitting in a group of his his team meeting, and Amy, I told you this little story this morning, he sat across his team meeting and they were all talking about, we gotta get bigger. We gotta expand, we gotta do this, we gotta do that. We gotta do this. And finally at the end of the meeting, and I I think he is a pretty quiet individual, but he literally slammed his hand down on the table and said, stop talking about getting bigger. We don't wanna talk about getting bigger. It's like, we wanna grow, yeah but that's not how we do it. We wanna focus on getting better. And if we get better, our customers will force us to get bigger. So in the spirit of challenging, one of the things we wanna do is talk about where is RFID in retail today? Where is the roadmap? Because we've been talking, Dr. Hargrave, about on-hand accuracy for 20 years. There's a lot of other stuff we can do with RFID. So here's what I'm gonna ask. Number one, we're going to go through about 45 minutes of me just asking them questions about where they see the future in retail, number one. Number two, what I want you to do is think about yourselves as a customer for the, well, today we call it the RFID lab, whatever we're going to call it in the future. What are the things the RFID lab needs to deliver to enable us to get to to the future? Does that make sense? We're going to do a little exercise after this. So... 45 minutes of question and answer of me asking them questions. We will have a time where you can ask your question at the end. We've got about 15 minutes for for questions at the end, including the Zoom. And then we're going to do a little bit of a brainstorm exercise because I'm really working on doing a a strategy document for Justin about what does the roadmap look like and what help does this group need from them to do that. So let's go ahead and start out. uh, Start out with Brand Alverson. Just go ahead and uh, I believe you're all unmuted so you can just talk. Uh, But go ahead and uh, uh, introduce yourself.
1: Yeah. So, Brand Overston, uh, 22 years with Walmart, retired in March of 17, been in the independent space ever since. And we were having a chat at the table with Dr. Hargrave that um, we can remember as far back as the Auto ID Center days in the late 90s with Kevin Ashton and Dr. Sarma at MIT. Um, And that it was probably a tipping point around 05-ish that the shrink visibility add-on because, you know, as we know, their, their roots were in supply chain heavily until about the mid-2000s. Um, so this is part of what I do, and so glad to be here and add some flavor on the shrink visibility piece.
0: Awesome. So, also served in the military. Thank yep. you for your service. Don't want to forget that. Yep. Uh, but basically, 22 years with Walmart in asset protection, and he has been one of the biggest fans of the RFID technology when Myron and I were working in that space to figure out how do we leverage RFID technology and specifically the ID and RFID for the asset protection space.
2: So great. Dr. Hargrave. So from an RFID perspective, um, when Walmart announced in 2003 that they would, um, by 2005, want their top 100 suppliers to tag in case, um, that's that's Walmart pulled me. I was already doing some work for Walmart at the time. I was a professor at the University of Arkansas, and so I've been working with RFID since uh, June of 2003 when Walmart first made that decision and um, continue to work in RFID in the in the retail space and and then on the side um, run a business school and run a university or two. So. <laughs> That's classic. That's just classic.
0: And I asked him at the table whether he was able to find a parking spot. So it's his building and everything. And he said, no, he was not able to find a parking no, spot. And I think that's just hilarious. You go to another university and suddenly, I bet you his tar- car gets towed. <laughs> <Did I> really- <laughs> Mr. Pat- Mr. Patton, you started this in 2023, roughly? Three,
3: uh, tw- I'm sorry, 2003. 2003. My bad. No, I was a grad student and uh, I uh, was his, I guess, first employee pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I remember I walked in his office and uh, I needed a, a GA position. I was in engineering he was for business. So uh, um, I remember I was still doing my master's and we were building this lab and it just kind of went from a conference room to a basement to a warehouse in about six months. And One day he said like, man, this thing's getting out of control. We need somebody to run this place. And I was like, yeah, we do. This is a mess. <laughs> and he said, well, I don't know where we're going to find somebody to do that. I was like, I don't either. That sounds like a sweet job. And uh, it, he gave me a BlackBerry. And he's like, hey, you want to be the lab manager? And I was like, yeah, it's amazing. So uh, I had a job before I graduated. I which is ironic because I'm supposed to be helping all these kids go out there and get industry jobs and everybody brings me their resume and asks me how to do job interviews I say, I have no idea I've never done one but, um, but um, I've been running the RFID lab for ever since seventeen years.
0: So how many of the current Auburn RFID lab students have heard that story before? <laughs> yeah, you too could run the lab one day right there's a th- there's a you Byron Burke. Uh, Good afternoon, Myron Burke. Uh, I have a total of
4: 26 years of experience in retail uh, with Walmart stores. Um, I started in high school. um, (laughs) Um, About 20 years in RFID, was in my first on-site lab, and then an old television studio lab, and then Bill Hargway labs, and Justin's labs of various formats across multiple states. Um, It's been an amazing learning curve uh, and the groups of people we've worked with from Department of Defense to NASA to some of the best academic minds in the world um, and technology developing minds as well. Um, Learned use cases working with Mike and other folks from serialized shipping container code. Uh, Gina and I were talking about hexadecimal conversion and different things earlier today. Um, so now we have tags that are more sensitive that, than we ever thought physically possible. Um, and so it's 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 an amazing it's amazing to see where the industry is. Um, I think there's lots of opportunities a- ahead that we haven't yet really fathomed the opportunities that this technology can bring. Awesome.
0: And by the way, if you ever had a chance, he's a great guy to work with and for. So thank you, Myron. So we got Brand out at the end this is a retailer, Myron's got a retailer. Got to get the suppliers in there, gotta, Mr. Hardy.
4: Got to get the brands in right? there. Got to get the brands in there.
0: That's right,
4: Dan Hardy, uh, with Haynes Brands. Been with Haynes Brands for about 23 years, uh, various operations roles. Um, we were on that top 100 supplier list back in 2003, so been working with Myron and, and Mike uh, back at the original days. Um, got out of the kind of out of the RFID world for about 10 years in another role at Haynes, and now I'm, I'm new back in it again since about February. So um, a lot has changed and a lot still remains the same, I would say, in the industry. Um, a lot of the issues are still there. Um, and we'll talk about some of those today and, and some of the opportunities. So, um, but happy to see uh, progress that's been made. Um, and uh,
0: yeah. Awesome, thanks for being here. Last but not least, we all know Synthel. I bet 90% of you don't know how to pronounce his last name, but you all know Synthel. And when you think about the RFID lab, one of the first things most people say is they say ARC. And of course, they ask what ARC stands for. and Nobody knows. What does ARC stand for, Sintel? So that,
5: That's a good story because uh, we're doing...
0: I the- didn't ask for a story. I, I just asked that- you... <laughs> <laughs>
5: You've
0: been hanging around Justin too long. <laughs> we're
5: doing an event at the university where, you know, you know uh, having an event that they want to announce the RFID lab. And uh, the ARC name came up. And uh, whenever you work in a university, they don't like acronyms. They want you know uh, expansions. So they kept insisting on what is ARC. You know, and we just kept saying it's just ARC. And uh, you know, I think on the third try, we had to say, if you really want to use it, you know, call it Arkansas Radio Compliance or stay at ARC. And the university said, we'll just keep it ARC. So
0: so it, is it now Auburn Radio Compliance, or is it still Arkansas? It's <It's-> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's get into some of the questions. So incredible panel. Uh, I'm really excited to get into this. But again, remember the homework assignment is think about for the future, what are the things that we need, the Auburn, whatever we're calling ourselves in the future, but right now the RFID lab to do to help unlock some of this stuff. So we're going to start with today, and I'll, I'll start with Justin, which is, how would you describe the utilization of RFID in retail today? Who's using it? What are they using it for, et cetera?
3: Well, is penetration in apparel is real high, as you all know, So, um, and that's going up. Um, I think a lot of the vertical retailers have uh, um, had a much easier time with getting going, and then uh, I think uh, even going into the multi-brands, I think apparel is becoming a uh, uh, just a table stakes, I think, to get in the game. It was important before COVID when it came to inventory accuracy and outstock and replenishment, but I think now, especially with Opus, and especially with all the pressure we have on uh, uh, labor operations in stores, I think it's, it's kind of just makes sense. And, and we're starting to see a push out beyond um, uh, apparel into these new product categories, which is crucial because uh, that takes us to the next step. This is kind of, it's, it's not just a gradual, you know, it goes out and tags everything in the store, which is what a lot of people thought when we initially went into RFID. But it, it's which categories make the most sense, which are the most advantaged. And then how do we step out, step out, step out into more? And uh, uh, it may not make sense everywhere. I don't think we're ever going to put an RFID tag on a watermelon. I doubt it. Uh, But um, I think that uh, at some point we're going to start seeing some of these uh, merge together with some of these other identification technologies. So it's on a good trajectory right now, for sure.
0: So real specifically, you guys used to do a utilization study. um, And I remember one stat a few years ago that said, Seventy of the top one hundred global retailers are in some stage of RFID. Where is that now? Do you still see it continue to grow? And maybe that's a question for Dr. Hargrave.
2: We we have, and you know, we we did that study for about seven years running, and and we really reached that point, kind of almost a saturation point, where we had moved down the adoption curve, and and that was, um, you know, pre-pandemic. We, we were in that 70% had started somewhere on the adoption curve, right? Some further along than others. What we saw with the pandemic though was, I mean, within within oh, three or four months after the pandemic shut everything down in March of 2020, we had, gosh, probably more retailers come to us in that next six months than we had in the previous few years. Be, because with everything shut down, We all knew inventory accuracy was a problem, but it really shined a huge light on the inventory accuracy issues that retailers had in the stores, right? When you shut the stores down, the stores go dark, and and you're trying to source from the store, or the consumers are demanding buy online pickup in stores as a way to do that. You've really got to know what you have, and so for those retailers who've kind of been on the sidelines, who who are just kind of getting started, it really uh, escalated during that time.
0: Yeah. So that's a great segue to the impact of the global pandemic to the utilization of RFID for specifically omni-channel purposes. I'm sure that put the entire industry into a tailspin of how fast can we get there because of that. So speak a little bit about yeah. pre, pre-pandemic and then now post-pandemic.
2: Yeah. It, it you know, again, we talked about inventory accuracy and, and either real, retailers either failed to acknowledge they had an inventory accuracy issue or just chose to ignore that they had an inventory accuracy issue. But when when you're forced into sourcing from stores when the stores are dark or, or allowing consumers to come in and pick up items through, through BOPIS, and we'll talk more about that later, I'm sure, um, it, it just kind of it just highlighted that issue. And many retailers just, and, and, and maybe some of you in the room, just could not execute during that time. Yet we saw retailers like Lululemon, who was all in, who executed perfectly during that time, whose sales actually started uh increasing even with everything shut down. And, and it was because they they could continue executing. And and those type of things then really highlighted the, the, the need for RFID to know what you have, where you have it, um, and uh in what condition. I will I'll note one other thing that the pandemic did for us as well. From from um uh, I guess from um uh industry perspective if we think about where re- where we find ourselves in retail now you know we we, we talk about retail 1.0 uh, 2.0 and 3.0 and 1.0 was you know when when retail was in its infancy you know for many 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 years uh retail 1.0 was the suppliers were in charge you know suppliers made products and they actually determined which retailers could sell them how much they charged for them suppliers controlled retail and then as we, as we had more retailers um, come online and uh, online is not the right word, but, but uh, more retailers um, come into play and bigger retailers, the, the emphasis shifted to the retailer because the retailer then drove the retail industry because they determined what they were going to sell and how much they were going to sell it for. And we started this transition over a decade ago to retail 3.0 where this consumer was getting more and more power. And, and what the pandemic did was really fast forward what we were seeing as the transition to, to really full into to retail 3.0 where the consumer absolutely is in charge now. The consumer has all the power in retail they and they demand and they drive what what retailers provide and, and when they provide it and, and and letting you know what they have. great.
0: great perspective. Um, Brand and Myron. What's in it for the retailers, both today and in the future? What do they see as, from a retail point of view, the value proposition for this technology at retail? So no, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. You want me to go? <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: so just as a as a baseline, so in retail, for those that aren't retailers, the the parallel does not exist between asset protection or loss prevention. And the sophistication of technology with store ops. So the value prop that really highlights quickly is the shrink—not only the shrink visibility, but it allows in most retailers a dark space of knowing exactly when you do the annual inventory, what's missing beyond a financial statement of saying, "Look, you you, you shrink out a million dollars this year," and not really have a whole lot of intelligence under it. It causes us, the asset protection professionals, to do a lot of guessing, albeit fairly sophisticated. We can get pretty close approximations, but when the operations side can tell you within 30 seconds, we sold a tube of Crest toothpaste, mint flavored, in Shenzhen, but on an annual inventory, when we get that million dollar number, we haven't a clue how to piece that together to add up to a million dollars. We know some of it's electronics, some of it's space care, some of it's, uh, you know, dog food, power drills, et cetera. So that incongruity, if you will, between the sophistication of those two divisions, RFID really opens a door for that profession to step in and be a player in decision level with true information and data. And that's a first. That yep. has not existed prior to RFID.
0: Awesome. <clears> there <throat> anything to add?
4: Now, I think um, I think building on what, what Brand said is, if you look at a retail operation, the, the two most important lines to the P&L are the wage expense or productivity and the inventory expense. Those are the two most influential numbers and the two most controllable numbers. So if you can speed up the productivity of your workers by making sure they do tasks that matter, when I load stuff onto a truck, it's stuff that I need at a store. When it gets to the store, I know it's going to fit to the shelf. We started it when I was at Walmart, we started bit, an engineering innovation team where we started actually calculating what's the cost of pulling a box from the back room and then having to take it back to the sales floor. And when you do that 50 times a night, 4,000 stores times that number, which I can't disclose that number um you start sitting back in your chair and saying we got to figure this out so as you look at a world that's moving toward automation and saying how do i get automation systems for the capital expenditure to pay for itself if i'm sending it bad needs data i'm sending it bad inventory data i can't make that system more efficient than a person uh, to justify the capital expense So you have this improvement in productivity, which improves the wage line, which helps you run a more profitable, better served business for the customers. And then on the other side, you're better leveraging your inventory um, and you're actually able to separate what we call real shrink from fallacy shrink, process shrink. I thought there were 50 units of bread and there were 60. I miscounted because it was stacked in opposing directions. That's a 10 unit delta that shows up in that annual inventory that had nothing to do with someone walking out the front door or someone sticking it in their duffel bag. It had to do with an order of operations. And statistics, some of us were talking about statistics class earlier tonight, tells us that, you know, by rule of, by rule, you're going to get one out of 10 out of average to be an error uh, of a human engagement. So being able to catch those things in near real time, even if it's within the week. Helps you resolve your financial accounting to to make retail math work more like a cost math infrastructure without having to run a dead unit inventory every single day, um, and I think that's a bit of an unlock that we don't talk about very often is is running retail math in a cost inventory model, but not having to run the cost cost
0: inventory overhead. That's why I loved working for Myron, and after that sermon, here we go. So Mike, go figure that out. It would always be at Oh, So go, go come to me with a proposal tomorrow. <laughs> Great. It's very true. Very true. And, and man, if he had a whiteboard right now, he would be at all scribbled up. Watch <laughs> it, <laughs> Dan brand owner. You've heard all of the retailer yeah. benefits. What are the, he's, what are he, the brand he's owners
4: been scribbling since we've been up?
0: Here. Has he been so really?
4: He's got his way for <laughs> Um, You know, I think from a brand perspective. Um, so we, we kind of see ourselves, we're in apparel as you can imagine. We kind of see ourselves as, as a consumer packaged goods and highly in our innerware businesses at least, very highly replenishable businesses, right? And so we are completely aligned with the retailers around the importance of OSA or on-shelf on availability. Um, and so this is a major driver for that, not only because, you know the, the the end consumer needs to know that the product is on shelf when they're actually in the retail store but go buy online pick up from store and ship them store and all, all of those things um, so we we actually have seen that benefit on on the the brand side uh, when we when we've seen our major retailers turn that on not only did we see a true up in the inventory um, at the stores, um, we saw that come through um, in in our you know in, in terms of uh, orders on our side to, to refill that inventory. And we see that kind of true up on, on a weekly basis. So that's really that's really important. Um, what it does, we've always had these debates internally at Haynes since, as long as I've been there about you know is a retailer carrying enough inventory to support our sales. And so our product marketing teams were always all over. You know, we're not performing as well as we should be, and it's because of inventory. So, this takes that away in, in a large, in, to a large degree, um, takes that off the table and brings you to kind of a level playing field from, the, from a sales standpoint. Um, there's another benefit that I think, you know, we've recognized that, hey, I don't think we talk enough about, and this is about the whole demand variability or volatility. Is, do you have that slide that I put in the
0: Yeah, go to slide uh, 31 for me. It's a graph slide, supply chain graph slide. Go ahead and keep talking while you yeah. bring So, up. you know,
4: we, when we went to go talk to our um, retail partners uh, planning and so, replenishment teams, we would always pull on the slide. So we we have a very kind of steady POS rate, you know, if you look at, the, if you look at POS of at our inventory or POS of our products at store, again, highly replenishable, fairly predictable that's the dotted line that you see on the in the middle of the page we can predict that if you look at a year over year of that same line it would look fairly similar
0: so the folks in the back what is the red line triangles versus the squares the red lines are point of sale
4: yeah the red lines are our pos in store sales okay okay
0: and the blue lines are...
4: And this would be at, at say, an item, level, an SIC level. Yep. Store
0: island. And the blue lines are shipments to... The blue lines
4: are shipments. Um, so we see this highly variable pattern of shipments uh, versus versus POS. And we would always say that creates a lot of inventory, not on the retailer's end, but also on our end, too. Um, and so this is something that I think that is an important thing. This is it isn't kind of a message for the retailers. Um, as you're sort of selling this end to your suppliers, that's something to talk about, right? If yeah. you can bring those two together, then you can you can really optimize your supply chain. And
0: yeah, and by the way, if those are your shipments, what does that back all the way to your raw material suppliers? What's their bullwhip, that's the term for it, what's their bullwhip effect, so great point. So if you get the accuracy at the store right, we you know how much you have and you know how much you're selling, That's right. Factoring that back throughout the supply chain is a very big opportunity. Certainly, that's not
4: the
0: only component of it, but it is probably a third of it. Synthel, we've been talking about this RFID for apparel for a long time. And we have seen big retailers like Walmart publicly announce they want to get into the automotive tires and the automotive batteries and the electronics and the sporting goods and the hunting and fishing supplies and homes, et cetera. Where is this thing going? What are you, what are you seeing? Because you're the ones that's being asked for the ARC specs to be able to make this work. What are you seeing from a roadmap perspective from a category expansion?
5: Um, I think what I think COVID did was it basically, you know, shined a light on the problems that we have in retail and ensure that all the inventory accuracy problems that we are talking about is not only specific to a pattern. It sort of exists in pretty much every other Department or category that we sell, and in some cases, much worse than apparel. Um, so I think there is a broad set of interest in lighting up the whole store, pretty much right from a general merchandise standpoint. Uh, but if we look at at uh, industry level, I think where we are seeing the next wave of adoption coming from is uh, definitely sporting goods. Uh, is an area where I think it's following right after apparel. Uh, entertainment, which is toys and electronics, uh, we're seeing a lot of interest both from the retailers, and in some cases, even the suppliers. Um, Home and home improvement uh, has been uh, something that a few retailers have explored for quite some time. But I think uh, that's getting a lot of traction. Um, And then, yeah, pretty much automotive health and beauty uh, is all pulling up. I think it took us probably like 10 years to get to where we were in apparel. I think we're at probably 30 to 40% uh, with the whole apparel market.
0: Um, I don't think we take that long for all these categories. Awesome. Yeah. So, if it's a good idea in apparel, it's a good idea in other categories as well, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> so, here, here's a big uh, question that I hear all the time, and, and I have an answer for it, but i love to hear it from your point of view. Yeah, but I really can't do that because there's an RFID chip shortage. I don't think there's chip capacity to meet the needs so should we really be moving forward your reaction and justin as well but central and justin your reaction uh to that statement
5: i think we have you know enough people in the room that uh, can give be better answer than <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, if i had to you know give a general feedback i think that's probably something that we talked almost daily um you know early in 2022 20, and a whole lot in 2021 uh, when we are talking about expansion, um, that has come down a lot. It's not, um, at least for the people that are rolling out and sourcing
0: that. Well, hang on, the, co- the concern has gone down a lot or the capacity has the gone concern. down a lot? The concern, <laughs> I just want to clarify. Exactly.
5: So, uh, <laughs> and that's the direct feedback we get, right? So when uh, suppliers reach out to, when retailers reach out to their suppliers and say, you need to tag, and, you know, they need to be able to source tags and put it on their products. So it was probably uh, one of the most discussed topics. Um, so it's definitely uh, the number of concerns we are hearing from the suppliers is coming down, which means they are able to source direct. And uh, based on what's going on on the industry side, um, it looks like things are getting a lot better. So I think with 2023, things should get Almost back to normal. Based on okay. what
0: okay. uh, so there was a check step in some of these big retailer expansions to let's ch- do a tag capacity check before we go do a big launch. Are you still providing that level of guidance, at least until
5: 2023? still pro- trying to provide visibility at an industry level to our technology providers. Okay. Like, because uh, there's a lot of stuff that is happening you know, in a lot of places and it happens in silos. So um, I just think there's a lot of that which is sort of Providing with this level guidance so that the technology providers okay. can be able to support these industries when they can. We, we, Perfect.
3: Don't, we don't know. Like the market grows, right? So we had about 50% growth from 2021 to 2022. And we're looking at almost 100% growth, I think, again, yep. going into this year in terms of capacity and volume. And we're at this weird phase where we're growing real quickly, but we're still small enough where somebody could start a new project and and, and knock a pretty big chunk out of that. I yep. mean, there's some. You know five to ten billion unit projects out there so it's one of the things i think we do real well and i'm glad y'all are all here for this is is figuring out what those unknown projects are and putting those in the in the mix so that they don't surprise anybody without breaking any ndas or or anything like that Got so
6: is that probably...
3: yeah. a point to that
4: sure because <clears throat> i think we're we're talking about Inventory management and inventory improvement and accuracy and, and all of that stems from a demand and a forecast. And, and I'm just gonna lean back on Dan here in the slide he had up there a while ago. I don't think you have to go back to it, but if, if we don't know as an industry that somebody's gonna pump 2 billion tags out of the market and it's, it just happens, it's no different in this industry than it is in the retail industry. So if companies aren't talking to the university or to supplier groups about what they're going to do, there's not really a a big competitive advantage in having RFID or not having RFID. You actually improve your advantage to your customers, but I don't know that you take something away from somebody else. Um, We can make the RFID tag inlay business just as bad as the retail underwear business was at some point because we're not sharing good forecast information. Mm. And so I think there's just a... There's a lesson to learn within the project here that we got to be better stewards for the industry and and not turn around and chastise an inlay company or a an IC company because they didn't know because we didn't tell anybody we were going to pull two billion tags on the market um, yep you know and, yeah. it's kind of the devil's in the details here, but it would be really ironic just to do that to ourselves when we're trying to solve that very problem.
0: Well. Yep, great point. All right, I'm gonna switch gears away from category uh, and, and I'm lo- I'm looking for a very quick sound bite future roadmap of business use. We've been talking about RFID to improve accuracy for 25 years, Jonathan. Really? I mean, same thing over and over again. There are more unlocks than just improving inventory accuracy. And Dr. Harvey will tell you that's the basis to enter. But the first one I want to talk about is this triangle. This is just my rendition of what some of the use cases are. The second one, Dr. Hargrave, is BOPUS and a brand new term that you taught me the other day I'd never heard before, ROPUS. Talk to us about the unlock that RFID plays in the omni-channel world.
2: So the, the, when we talk about being omni-channel and, and as far back as 2018, 80% of retailers thought they were omni-channel and, and they're not, they're not even close. Um, buy online, line pick-up, and store is the easiest should be the easiest capability for uh, omni-channel enablement. And most retailers are still very, very bad at uh, buying online, pick up in store. The, the execution is poor, 50% um, uh, execution errors uh, of some type, whether it's a pick or, or following through. Um, only about 35% of retailers actually show their inventory levels on, on, uh, when you go in to do that. But but kind of the hidden one here is the and and that's the research on research online buy in store research research online pick up in store, that's that's the one that most retailers don't have any visibility to it and seventy four percent of consumers now, and and think about yourself as a consumer if you're going to the store seventy four percent of consumers now uh, at some point during their shopping year will go online to see if you have the product. They don't they don't reserve it, they don't buy it, they don't have, but they go online, see if you have it, and then they go to the store from there. And if you don't have it, if you don't show them online that you have it in stock, you've you've missed out on a sale and you've missed out on getting that person in the store, which right now about 25% attachment sales when you get somebody into the store who, who looked online. That's that's again, that's kind of a simple use case. And so you're talking about future ones. You you got to unlock that right now because that's that's the easiest capability there is.
0: And what if they what if a customer doesn't share that inventory information to their potential customers? Are there potentials that they will go to another retailer that can fulfill that need? Yeah, and
2: and and that's that's part of that retail 3.0, right? If I go, I'm I'm looking at Chuck. You know, if I if I go on, I'm I'm going to buy I want to buy a white shirt at a certain size, and I go out there to look and to see if you have it. And if dealers doesn't have it, and I need that shirt. I'm going to go to another retailer, right? Uh, I mean, and, and, and if, and if dealers does not show me whether they have it or not, then I'm not going to take the, the gamble. I'm going to go to the store and hope that they have it. No, I'll find another retailer who will have that shirt that I can go get. So they've missed out on that sale and, and maybe even missed it and maybe missed out on something else I would have bought while I was there and maybe missed out because the next time I may not even go to that website, to even check.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Part of the next one, Brand Elverson, is basically leveraging from my perspective the id and rfid yes rf allows you to be able to read things but without you know, line of sight and things like that but the ability to uniquely know where things are in the supply chain coming into the store talk to us about the asset protection uses where you can leverage the id and rfid for asset protection purposes
1: so going back to to my earlier comment about sophistication of technology and the mainstream ops versus that of asset protection loss prevention most all retailers to build Dr. Hargrave's point, have some idea what they own. It may not be right, but they have a system where when it comes in the back door somewhere, it's being accounted for. Imagine if that didn't exist. That's where asset protection loss prevention is. So it's not an incremental step forward. It is now for the first time ever being able to know, and this is a good conversation to have because the, I believe it was NRF, just released their annual study. Um, And if you don't know what's under the covers, you can walk away from that and saying the $600 trillion of shrink, God, that's a lot of theft. If you don't know the end to end from OEM to the customer, it's not all theft. But RFID allows us to understand what component is theft or what did we never receive in the first place? Or is it You know, somewhere else in the store in stock room number 36, we don't know that. So, you know, while it sounds from an operational perspective, there's a different value prop. The extension for asset protection is huge because it will also, the the reaction we have when we make the mistake and say it's all theft, you walk into a store, guess what? everything's locked up. We all see it on LinkedIn. You can't go three posts without somebody saying, you know, organized retail crime, they robbed the store. So we become tone deaf and thinking that everything is theft. Well, it's not Maslow's, you know, what is the, the saying is all you sell is a hammer, everything's a nail. We start locking up everything when in fact it may not be a theft issue at all. It'd be a supply chain issue. We have no idea. So it's a huge deal for the asset protection industry. It's giving us intelligence we don't have today.
0: Yep. So um, I wanna give some credit to uh, Sensormatic when, we, when Brandon and I and Myron are all at Walmart, and this is not in use in any different production environment, but one of the things we did to actually demonstrate the capability is what you see on the top left-hand corner is what did I receive in the back of the store versus what I expected. Today, we don't measure that unless you're going to open every box and count every item, et cetera. So the ability to put infrastructure in that actually reads that, and you'll know the two items that didn't show up that you expected. That's shrink. The second one on the bottom, these are the things that physically left the store that we never saw a POS transaction for. Did they steal it? Maybe, probably. Was it a customer? Don't know. Was it it an associate from the store? Don't know. But we know those particular items, in this case, eight of them, left the store that didn't get paid for it. Two things. Number one, you didn't get the money for it as a retailer. Number two, we still think we have a quantity on the shelf and we disappoint the next customer. So a- again, this is not exactly the way some retailers are implementing it. And I, I think several of you have seen Joe Cole from Macy's uh, implementation that, that he has talked on numerous times, but the power of actually using serialized data for the purpose of asset protection is a huge enabler. I don't think people are really... Taking advantage of it the way they should be, I think that's one of the next big unlocks. Um, upstream supply chain, Dan Hardy, back to you. So there's this dirty little word in retail called claims.
1: Yes, chargebacks.
0: <laughs> talk to chargebacks, compliance, claims,
4: compliance claims.
1: Talk
0: talk to us about the role they could play with uh, with that.
4: Yeah, so um, so it hangs about two. There's four major drivers of our chargeback claims with our retail partners and. Two of those have to do with inventory accuracy and shipment accuracy. Um, So we, we really see a big opportunity here to be able to use, and we're talking about things like internal carton shortages and overages. So think of a pick to store carton uh, that may not have the right number of items that are the right items period. Um, The other side of that is carton shortages and overages. So we say we ship, hundred cartons the retailer says they received 98 and so but if you think about our compliance claims it's about a third that, that those two backers are about a third of our total compliance claims the cash flow implications are even bigger though it, it, those two accommodate for about 16 65 percent of the cash flow tie-up of these claims as we try to negotiate with the retailer so all sets up to be a, a very nice um, way to, to try to try to validate those outbound shipments, validate inventory um, from our internal supply chain. And that's really kind of the long-term vision that we see, is if you can push that back into the supply chain into your manufacturing plant, then you can start to automate things in your distribution center. So we got to start at the end and work backwards from
2: there. Yep,
0: absolutely correct. All right, another big opportunity. Um, so we talked category expansion with Synthel. I'm going to put Justin on the spot. When you first opened the lab back in 2005-ish or so, I'm not sure what year it was, one of the things you had was a dressing room or a changing room to mock up what a potential customer experience could look like. I haven't seen RFID used a whole lot in retail. So talk to us about what you think the future is in terms of leveraging that RFID information for, from a consumer engagement or customer engagement perspective.
3: We, time is well overdue. You know, Lauren's here somewhere, we've been working on this for a long time with her team, but there's not a lot of data that goes into customer experience with respect to store operations. So for example, we were dealing with the chain, national chain, um, upscale uh, apparel, a vertical, they have, you know, thousands of stores across the U.S. And we asked them, uh, what percentage of your customers use the dressing room? And they're like, that's a great question. So we were pretty surprised by the fact that they had so much focus and emphasis on the dressing rooms in the space and did not really know how everybody was utilizing it when they were going through there. So we have never really found any studies or anybody who is doing it beyond some smaller onesie twosie consulting projects of just quantifying what is a consumer experience in the store, like what constitutes a good or a bad experience. We always quantify that in sales, right? Did they buy something or not? So um, we don't really know what they do a lot of times when they go through there, and we're starting to see a big push from retail in terms of changing the model or changing the format. So you think, see things like that. we'll hear people talk about dark stores, or you'll hear people talk about uh, the ghost go stores with the just walk out technology and things like that as well. So there's a lot of stuff that's that's changing the customer experience, but we don't really know, you know, what's sticking and what's not. Um, Lauren recently went out there and looked at a whole bunch of uh, stores that had kind of been in the headlines for the last five or six years for new store formats and new store models. And a lot of them, when we went back to check on them, had switched back to the traditional models. So what didn't work and why? We don't know. So the key, though, we feel like is we need to be able to more minutely monitor and locate the inventory in the store. I think it's following the inventory and not necessarily the customers as they go through there. And then trying to figure out what they're responding to and what they're not responding to. The crazy thing about like, you know, you look at those Amazon just walk out stores and they're pretty awesome, right? But like from a customer experience perspective, there's very little change in that from a traditional retail store. The only difference is when you go, yeah, the checkout. So when you walk in the store, you actually add stuff because you have to check in. And then when you leave, you just walk through instead of taking the stuff out of your basket and checking out. But the entire rest of the shopping experience is the same. But from a customer's perspective, that's a full, they walk in, oh, look at these videos, it's amazing. This is like the future. So it doesn't take much, I think, to uh, uh, really shift the customer's mindset in stores, but we have a hard time um, um, quantifying that in a way that makes it sticky when it comes to implementing. In reality, they just redistributed the checkout experience. Right, they moved it yeah. to the front, right? Yeah. But that little shift was a big, big difference. Yeah? Yep.
0: All right, I have one more question. I'm just going to get ready for you. So if you have a question, kind of be thinking of it. Raise your hand. We'll have two mugs going. The last question, probably for Sintel and Myron and Justin, there's other technologies out there, computer vision, William, Bluetooth, augmented reality, you name it, that a lot of people are looking at, as potential competing solutions to our concurrent RFID technology. Talk to us of whether you think they're really competing technologies or whether they're completing technologies. Did you say competing or completing? Competing or completing. Good. Are they gonna to work great. together
4: well, or is
0: one replace the other?
4: Since I'm, uh, Just, since, I'm um, since I'm talking on asking you a clarifying question, I would sort of Step out on a limb and say they're complementing technologies. Um, I, think we, I think we have to remove the term this versus that when we're talking mm-hmm. about technology solutions from our vocabulary as we think about being retail innovators in the future. Um, there's no more silver silver bullet, so to speak. Retail's gotten incredibly more complicated uh, from the supply chain and sourcing all the way through to the post, post-sale customer experience. Um, and I'll just kind of tie a couple of things together here that I think are critical to that. I, I'm a big fan of understanding the state and status of assets in a business. Whether it's a capitalized asset that we own, like a server or something that's really expensive, and I need to get so much life out of. I need to know where that is and make sure some guy doesn't come in as a maintenance and unplug one and take it out and, and walk out with an extra 20,000 bucks in his pocket uh, for the black market. I also need to know where all of the inventory is and what's the state of that? Is it a display, meaning it's a do not inventory item, but I've paid for it. So I've got to write that off. So I want to keep it as long as I can. Is it something that's been claimed and returned? Um, Is it one that I've paid for or not paid for? And RFID gives you that visibility. But I think there's things that RFID RFID doesn't do well in the UHF spectrum. It's it's not a great post-sale customer support experience at home. I think your NFC Bluetooth stuff is going to be very valuable in that space. Um, I I just spent two years leading a computer vision company and there's things that computer vision can do faster than RFID, but it doesn't count well because it doesn't know if I counted that one already or not in a different aisleway or moving around. So I think this concept that Justin used earlier has been a big word of mind of sensor fusion that's coupling, um, Mike's going to have flashbacks here on these things, that's coupling state and status with fixed architecture. Say I can create a virtual basket that moves around the store. And as I aggregate things together, I don't need to know who's pushing it at the time. I can know those things are together and then tie that transaction to a credit card or a debit card or all types of things at the end for loyalty and things. Uh, but I can also track the life of that asset the lifetime value of a customer and start stitching all this stuff together uh, in really unique ways. Um, and, and having those sensor fusion items work together takes pressure off of one senior failure point. Um, and, and we have to do that across our businesses as well.
0: Awesome. Justin and Senthal, any other bills? And I think From so. Professors Burks?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think what I'll say after what Marin said is it really depends upon the perspective you have to the project. If you think of that project as an RFID project or a PLD project, then they become competing. Mm-hmm. But if you take the other perspective of what I'm solve, is it a traceability project? Is it an accuracy project? Is it a consumer experience project? Then you start to realize I got to have everybody. Like it's not an either are, it has to be a team over. So it almost looks like who's driving it and what they're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can see that in the same organizations and But I think we are seeing a shift in you know, RFID being part of traceability projects. You right. know, RFID being part of supply chain improvement projects. And when that happens, you know,
3: people realize everything has a role to play.
2: Yeah. Awesome.
0: Justin, anything to add?
3: just want a tool right so not everybody wants to start out on an innovation project nobody wants to do a a moon program to to just get solve their problem store so they want things to be you know more stable they want things to know that they work they want to invest in a market that there's a lot of other people using it that they feel like that they're going to get their value out of there and they're not taking a risk on this and i think that we create a lot of problems for ourselves as an industry especially with solution providers we start getting in each other's lanes and, and, and being a little bit argumentative sometimes about, you know, this versus that. And I think that creates a lot of um, FUD for the users, right? So um, I think we just need to be responsible stewards of the space, focus on what is the primary value that they're trying to get to, and then focus on whatever technology will get them there because there's, there's a little bit of room for everything. But we're trying to present this space whether it comes to uh, serialized identification technologies or serialized product identification and inventory tracking as something that is, is, is a mature space that people can work in and invest in uh, without getting into a, a, a confusing um, tech bake off.
0: Awesome. Perfect. All right, we're going to open it up for questions. We've got a mic here. We've got a mic here. Who's got the first question? Jonathan, of course.
1: Uh, Great presentation. Thank you. Uh, My question is what? So, I was keying in on on what you said, Dan, uh, as far as the value to a brand owner uh, regarding like demand forecasting. What other carrot or carrots can a retailer offer a brand owner to entice them to RFID tag at source?
4: Yeah. So, I I think, you know, and I kind of said this initially, um, I think it's all about ensuring that. know you have a good story to paint to say my retail inventories are going to be accurate, we're gonna update this on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, we're gonna true up our inventories. And so what you see in the store you can count on being there. So you can take all that variability out of the picture. um, so that I can I can go back to my management and say, hey, you know, This is the true read of what our what tos on our item our store item combination is actually doing right and so there's no debate about well there's a lot of noise in there because they don't have enough in store you may have that conversation but it's it's all about i can now believe and so it's it it is that level playing field for your eyes i think that's kind of the, the biggest benefit and then i think the the other benefits that fall from that are Hey, you know, you're going to see you're going to see a regular replenishment coming through to to kind of true up that inventory. You should see that, so you would expect that. But it's also going to stabilize that demand signal that you're getting from your retailer, right? And that has implications all the way back to your supply chain. So I don't think that's talked about enough, and and uh, I think we you know we're doing a lot of work on that at Haynes, and they're trying to figure that out from an OSA standpoint. But um, but I think that's important for, for retailers to kind of be able to communicate to their supplier I mean, the retailers for the retailers, you know, in the room and on the call, I and mean, they look at this in terms of, you know, this is, we're dictating this to the supplier community, but if you really want them to jump on board and embrace it, there is a sales piece of it. Like, you have to sell that to them in that way, uh, and help them understand what the benefits are but by making that investment.
6: Okay, so so question, uh, John from UPS. One, uh, very great. That we should give the group a round of applause. That was really something. So, so two questions. One for you on on the RFID side, um, and we've talked briefly about this. one, so I'm curious, and, and the other panelists. Is there, I'm UPS, so you guys talked a lot about retail, uh, a little blink about uh, supply chain. I think there's obviously I'm biased, big opportunity on the supply chain side. So one, is there a uh, room for a universal label? And what are your thoughts on that? Is it goes from retail, Haynes, Walmart, and comes into my four walls of UPS or even my great competitors, FedEx? Uh, is, is there a scenario there? And then two, maybe uh, for Myron, cause he talked about the financial part of RFID. What What is a traditional sort of ROIC uh, on an RFID project? What, what should people expect when they invest in these projects? So two questions. Thank you very much.
5: I'll, I'll take the first one. I think um, that's all, that's what we're working for, right? Is uh, sort of like alignment both on performance and to even extend that alignment on data standards. So when let's say a retailer is putting an RFID tag on a product, and shipping to the customer and it goes through UPS or FedEx, you know, you already have an auto label that's part of the product that's in the box that's flowing through your supply chain. So, you know, how do we leverage that, right? You know, is there anything that we can do to leverage that existing tag rather than snapping another tag on it, right? You know, of course the taggers would love to, you know, send two tags, uh, but, uh, but there is, I think, a lot of discussions. Um, so that's, probably going to be one of the big topics that we have uh, scheduled for today, not tomorrow and Thursday is to sort of get cross-industry alignment and having a baseline of performance. So we can expect a minimum quality of performance across the entire supply chain, whether it's at the supplier, whether it's at the retailer, or whether it's at the logistics level. But I think it extends beyond just that performance, even, you know, with the back standards and stuff like that. But uh,
0: yeah, I'm happy to chat. Yeah, the second question, just to, for the folks who are on the Zoom call, uh, the second question was specifically at Myron, and the question was, what's the ROI of these kind of investments?
4: Um, was it ROI or
0: expectations? Was, was it ROI, right? They want a promise, Myron. They want a promise. It's
4: a little bit of an impossible question to answer in a broad, in a broad way, because... It's, it's going to depend on how, how good or bad your organization is. And, and so I can I can tell you we've seen, I've seen ROIs from the, the 3% to the 20%, okay? Now, some of those are, our ROI wasn't on the inventory because we were paying a whole bunch of extra people to double count everything that went on and off of every truck. The ROI was, you could cut a thousand people out of your headcount because you don't need to count everything twice anymore so it's a very different roi model because nobody wants to talk about an attrition model in an roi discussion um but it also says your original operational processes weren't as good as you thought they were because you just kept stacking people on top to do the same work which is not productive uh in any operation um, and, and then you see some that uh, are, or I think, you know, when, when you first said expectations, I sort of, the word I, I sort of threw over my shoulder to Justin was chaotic. Uh, when you start an RFID project, I would expect some chaos because it will make people and executives of areas that were sort of the golden child in an organization look really bad. It will expose things in an organization that are non-discriminate because it doesn't care whose p its it is. It doesn't care anything about how well the organization has been awarded or recognized. It just says, there's a lot of things here happening under the covers that we don't have data on. Kind of like the dressing rooms uh, from that perspective. And that's where I think the state status becomes very important. Um, and, it, and it kind of parlays into what Cynthia was talking about in your question about, you know, could one tag work across the industry? Uh, I would affirmatively say, absolutely. The problem is the enterprise ERP infrastructure can't support real-time data flows because most are 24 hour batch process systems and they can't respond fast enough to the EDI flow that we need on edge networks. So there's a lot of other paralyzing factors in the compute industry and data transfer industry that is beyond a tag limiting factor. I think the tags can do way more than we can functionally process within our enterprise systems today. And let's be honest, nobody wants to go rewrite and redo enterprise systems uh, on capitalized budgets because they're crazy expensive. And by the time you get them done, they're out of date uh, from that perspective. So I hope that I hope that answers some of your questions. Thank you. One
5: more Thank you. Well, f- uh, first of all, thank you very much for sharing your experience with us. It was pretty informative. Uh, we appreciate that. Uh, I'm Gilda from Golden State Foods, and um, I do have a two-part question to ask anybody. Uh, all of you can answer this question. Uh, how vulnerable is RFID to cybersecurity threats? That's part one. And part two, based on your experience, have you seen any cybersecurity attacks uh, on this technology?
3: We did We did some of this with the... Uh the DOD in the past. So um, they tend to have a lot of uh, different rankings and hierarchies for for cybersecurity threats when it comes to RFID. For passive UHF, it's never really been a concern because the amount of data that we're loading on the tag is limited. So uh, for the most part, if you're using an EPC or an SG10, it identifies what type of product the item is and then possibly a serial number that's associated with that item which is not meaningful unless you have an associated database. It's kind of like your license plate for your car. Like anybody can read your license plate. It's not really a security issue. Nobody's gonna steal your social security number from it unless they're already in the DMV database anyway, and then you got a bigger problem. So I I don't think that passive UHF has been an issue, except for whenever people irresponsibly load data on there and get off standards. That's a big plug for staying on standards, right? but um, there are some RFID's a big world, right? So there's there's hundreds of different kinds of technology of RFID, and some of them are active, and they can load a lot of data on there. So I don't know if we can speak definitively to every single way that every single person is is using uh, RFID data, but I I can tell you that um, you know, I, people think of weird things. I saw something the other day about Fitbits. So um, um, some of the um. Active military operations were actually looking at some of the online posted Fitbit on the health and fitness websites to figure out where troops were in different countries because some of the soldiers were out there running routes in the morning and then uploading their uh, Fitbit data to some type of health and fitness site. And they didn't realize it, but it's not hard to scrape that through there and figure out where a whole lot of people are. So I don't know. There, there's There's odd ways that people may not intend, but we've never come across a, a major issue, to my knowledge. Uh, with uh, any type of malicious capability of using the base level data that we're putting on we talk about passive UHF. Here. All
0: right. Do they answer both your questions? All right. Two logistical things. First and foremost, you, you guys stay here, but we want to appreciate you and thank you for 130 years of experience in this space. Well, I hope you enjoyed that podcast with all of the experts in RFID and retail. Again, some incredible uh, thoughts and perspectives from where we are today as well as where we're going in the future from an industry perspective. Next podcast, we're going to be focusing on computer vision and product recognition. Whether you have a shelf scanning robot or a fixed camera in a store, or even just people who are collecting in-store conditions with their cell phones the ability to take that information and turn it into what are the on-shelf availability issues on the shelf, all that's driven by computer vision and product recognition software. So I've got four individual companies that are going to be spending some time looking at how this particular software can be used to deliver on-shelf availability issues. Join me then.